Welcome to the Crowdmakers, inside the C-suite of sports and entertainment, the definitive podcast on the inner workings of the business side of professional sports, concerts, and live events. These are the people that are shaping the new landscape of the industry, the executives that are creating the new paradigm for live entertainment. These are the inside conversations you won't hear anywhere else. These are the Crowdmakers. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the digital training network that uses micro-learning and spaced repetition to form new habits of success in sales, service, leadership, and more. Created by sports and entertainment industry experts for the industry. Learn more at ISBI360.com. And now, here's your host for the Crowdmakers, Bill Gertine. Welcome to the Crowdmakers. It's Bill Gertine once again. And today we are truly honored to have Deanna Witter with us. Deanna is the Chief Revenue Officer of the Houston Dynamo, Houston Dash, and BBVA Stadium. Thanks so much for taking time for us, Deanna. Thank you, Bill. I really appreciate you inviting me to be here with you today. We have been through all sorts of things the last several months. What have you been doing to better yourself in this pandemic? Is there a habit you've started, something you started reading, anything like that? I have done a number of things. I think more than anything, I've spent more time being a mom, which I think has been exciting to have more uh, flexibility to work from home and be able to pop out of my office here at the house and grab lunch or snack, um, play a game in between calls. And so that's been really, really rewarding um, and, and enjoyable. Um, another thing that, that I had launched and started is a, is a podcast. Um, so it feels bigger than a project. It feels like a third job, <laughs> um, but it has been just a phenomenal um, opportunity for me to um, network and get to know um, women around the industry, elevate those profiles. And then also from that, it, it has also afforded me an opportunity to connect, engage, and sort of um, put myself out there as a mentor um, to a number of individuals in the industry. So I've, I've taken a lot of phone calls from there and made a lot of connections through that, through that That's launch. That's great. Well, I'm sure some of the reps on your staff really appreciate the fact that you're a mom too, and you've had to deal with some of these at school at home issues and some of these other things that have gone on. Have a lot of your staff been appreciative of the fact that you get where they're coming from? You know, a lot of my stuff, I only have a couple of people on my team who have kids. And so my team is pretty, pretty early in stages in terms of having a family. But I think ultimately the feedback I get is that they respect where I'm coming from and what I'm dealing with. And I think um, just from a perspective of considering where they are in their life and when they have a kid someday, um, I think it gives them some sense of, of grounding, of understanding, like it's okay to dedicate time to that area of your life and it's okay to balance it. Um, and so I think that that has been, has been very, uh, very opening uh, and great conversations to have with my team. Cool. Your role involves the Houston Dynamo of MLS, the Houston Dash, the women's professional soccer team, and then events at BBVA Stadium, such as concerts and the like. What are the status of each of those entities right now? Yeah, so the Dynamo, we are back to playing um, at our stadium. So it's been extremely exciting to open back up BBVA Stadium and hosting live events again. Um, so that's been huge. Big props to our stadium um, led by uh, Juan Rodriguez. He is our general manager and him and his team have just done a, a phenomenal job um, with the safety and health plans um, to ensure everybody who comes into our stadium is, is, is obviously safe and, and are able to focus on things that they care about, which is hopefully cheering on the Dynamo and the Dash. Um, so right now we're hosting 3,000 people in our social distance um, manifest. And so that has been Currently, where we are today, we won a big game last night versus um, FC Dallas um, at home. 
our women's team, um, you know, they, they right now are playing in a Verizon Community Shield um, competition. We had won the 2020 NWSL Challenge Cup um, coming, in, coming out of the bubble in Utah, which was extremely exciting. We thought the season might have ended with that, but uh, thankfully the NWSL was able to um, create a second competition here in the fall, which I think has been a phenomenal opportunity for us. And so we've hosted two games for the NWSL um, for our dash and they'll play their last game um, for the Shield on, um, on Friday in Orlando. And so those two teams have been very active and we've been just happy to be able to be engaging uh, with our fan base at that point. And then the stadium side, most of the events have been pushed to 2021. And so now we're not hosting any additional events, but um, like I said, our GM at the stadium, you know, he's, he's working hard to, to see what we can get, get going here. Well, good luck to the Dynamo and the Dash as they move forward and, and compete. Thank you. Most everyone in sports has gone through a long period here. This has been the, probably the longest year any of us can remember. They probably knew exactly or they could tell you just where they were on that day and whatever time it was in March when they first learned that things were going to be shut down. Where were you at that moment and, and what was the situation for you when you learned? Yeah, for me, um, I was actually on spring break with my kids. That happened to have been spring break. So I was in Austin. Uh, we had decided last minute to take the back half to go um, to Austin for like an extended weekend. And we had a game on Saturday, the March 14th. So I was going to be home on Friday night in time for the game. Um, as soon as I got to Austin, my phone was just going crazy, as you can imagine, just um, talking about the game likely being canceled. Um, and then eventually the game being canceled on Saturday. And then also going into conversations about not going into the office on Monday. And we haven't been back since. And so it's been over 200 days that we've been working from home in this environment. So um, it was uh, it was crazy because I felt like there was a lot of hope and this was going to be a very minimal um, extension of time at home, but it, it's definitely um, far exceeded all expectations of, ex of what we thought was going to happen, of course. So you have not been back to your office in 200 days. I actually have. I went, I was there yesterday and I've been there three times when the office isn't open. I just was able to get some clearance to go in there. I, we won't tell. If you have, well, if you have an office, you, you're isolated. So you have an opportunity to go there. <laughs> Great. You have been all about ticket sales and sales leadership in sports. When you first even began your career, you started in group sales with the Indiana Pacers as one of the hot top recruits at the NBA job fair back when they had those back in 2006. Mm -hmm. But you didn't earn a degree in sports management. You got a BS in administration and marketing from Central Michigan. I understand it was a courtside game at the Pistons with your mm -hmm. best friend that you got the bug for being in sports. Take us through that experience for you. Yeah, I love the story. I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah, when I was when I was younger, I I was a huge sports fan, and I, I've told this story a number of times. I, I think more recently, I've been able to um, maybe tell a little better than I've been able to tell it before. But when I was younger, um, you know, I was raised by a single mother. My father, when I was younger, left um, by the time I was ten, and it was in this sort of broken environment that I fell in love with sports and being a part of a sports team. Um, gave me purpose. And I knew for the rest of my life, I wanted to feel what it felt like to be an athlete. And if I could be, go pro and be an athlete for the rest of my life, that was going to be my mission. And um, that sort of sort of picking up into obviously watching NBA basketball was, was my obsession, let's say, as a fan. And my mom um, knew that. And anytime that she could do anything for me to get me to a game, she would. And she had a, a friend that was able to pull some strings and get me and my best friend seats to sit courtside at the sports table, this Pistons game. 
And I remember it was Golden State Warriors Pistons game. Uh, the Pistons won by a lot. I can't remember the score, but it was like a crazy game, one of the highest, like, you know, just differences in, in scores. And and I remember all these people just walking around in suits. And I said, I don't know what those people do, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work for a sports team. I want to create this energy. I want to create these experiences for people that I was given when I came because that energy is so contagious and um, inspiring to be in that sort of environment. And so um, that was my, that was my goal. Through high school, I sort of put my head down. I worked hard and I thought the only way I was going to go to college was um, through sports. And I had a couple opportunities to play soccer. Terrible at basketball, to be honest with you. Um, my team could not win. So any, any opportunity to play in college basketball was off the table. But I had some opportunities to play um, soccer. But ultimately, because sports was my guiding, um, sort of my guiding star, it required me to also be a good on the academic side. And so I actually ended up getting a multicultural advancement scholarship, um, which was an academic scholarship awarded to individuals um, from a minority, you know, minority students. And so um, I took advantage of that and, and, and got that opportunity to go to Central Michigan. And my freshman year, I went to the Pistons Career Fair because I wanted to work for them. And so I went to the Pistons Career Fair. I went to every table that was a professional team. And I said, I want to work um, for a sports team. Who do you hire? Who are the people in suits? And give me some advice. What's the best thing? And I was like, I think it was the second year. I, I went back every year, networked and sort of built that up and just tried to become the person that they were telling me I they would hire. And um, there was the second year, one of the people I had spoke to, I wish I remember who it was, but um, they had said, you know, um, I would suggest going into marketing because marketing is the science behind a sale. And advertising is the communication of a sale. Salesmanship is really a personality that you bring to and some characteristics that you bring to the role. And you should, you know, go serve tables or be a bartender to sort of develop those skills. But to understand what how to sell truly is an art of science, which is marketing. And so that's why I switched. I switched to marketing and I did advertising minor. And um, and then I just focused everything else on, on working for a sports team and just developing those sales skills. So I did a number of things um, throughout college um, that put me in that position of customer service and salesmanship in my job experiences. So you are proof positive that you do not need a degree in sports marketing to succeed in sports. When people come and ask you that, what sort of degree you need, what direction do you give people? Yeah, I just ask them what their passions are. And, you know, I think ultimately what happens is um, it's often by that time, the time I'm talking to somebody, they probably already committed to a sports management degree, which is, which is fine. I just, you know, I, I think, um, I think sports management degrees are now so evolved from when they were when I was in college, you know, in, in college, when I was there, it's sort of like anything sort of speckled into sports was the degree we had at central that time. Now they have a phenomenal degree and there's a lot of relationships that colleges have made with professional sports teams and my league sports teams that I think the programs are better aligned than they were back then. So I still encourage a sports management degree, but I would say you don't need one. You know, I think it's important that you build a network and you just sort of um, define what, what job you're looking for and ask the right questions. And I think that that was key for me. And I think that still stays true today. Well, after a couple of years at the Pistons, you went off to the Detroit Lions to find out what they were all about and were there during the 0-16 season. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, just in time that you had. But then the Pacers called you back as the director of group ticket sales in the fall of 2008. And in that two-year period that you were there, you brought the Pacers from number 22 in group sales in the NBA to number two 
in just two years, which is a phenomenal feat. Where was the low hanging fruit that you saw at that time that you were able to grow it like that? I think the, the biggest opportunity that we had at that time, one people, we had a very small team when I was, when I was in the group sales team where there's like four of us and we'd grown to six people. Um, I think ultimately seven or eight at one point. I think that was big. Having the resources was key. Secondly was um, having a strategy and making groups sort of one of the core revenue drivers of ticket sales before it was, I felt like it was a back burner to season tickets. And when your team is in low demand, your group sales opportunities are your greatest opportunities to drive revenue. And so thinking about contest and incentives and commission and goal setting um, across the entire organization is key. You can't just focus in on your group sales team. You have to think about the entire organization um, in terms of your ticket sales team and what are their goals against the groups and what is their training and their development. And it's a, it's a true team effort. It's not just that department. So I thought that was, I thought that was a significant part. And then category management, you know, I think the strategy in general of dividing up um, the categories, uh, they significantly grow uh, was key as well. And I think at that point, um, the category concept was just sort of really elevating and we just doubled down on it. Cool. Well, you spent nearly four years at the Pacers. You rose to senior director of ticket sales. And then the NBA came a call in and you spent two years in Teambo or as a director of team marketing and business operations. For those who don't know that acronym here for the NBA, for those who aren't as familiar with that position, describe that role if you would and, and what you enjoyed most about it. Yeah, I absolutely enjoyed my time with the Pacers. You know, like you said, I grew to a senior director of ticket sales and that was such a unique and extremely important opportunity for me to, to grow to that level with my starting team was so important. I love the, the culture and the people there. Uh, but this opportunity at the league office was one that I just could not turn down. And what I was extremely excited about um, because the opportunity to grow and learn at the league office is, is an opportunity that's um, that isn't afforded to everyone. And I think I, I was going to, at no cost was I going to turn this opportunity. And I say that because at this point, when I interviewed for the job, I found out I was pregnant. And when I, two weeks after I accepted the job, I found out I was having twins. And so there's this mo moment of panic. And so I say that in terms of like, I, I sacrificed a lot to take that opportunity, knowing how important it was um, for the growth and development of my future, of my career, and for the, the life I was to, you know, hopefully building and the one I'm building for my family. Um, so that was a crazy time for me. But the league office position, that director position, it's an account manager position, and you service sort of as a consultant and a liaison between the teams um, across the G League, WBA, and the NBA, and the league office. And I primarily spent most of my time with G League and WNBA teams and spent a number of um, some time also, you know, on ticket sales initiatives across the NBA. Um, but my my time there was was incredible. I traveled four days a week um, for the most part, Monday through Thursday, and I would be home for the weekend um, and then re repeat and recycle. And, um, you know, the time I had there, I mean, the biggest thing was, was working with each team, uncovering their opportunities, um, sharing best practices across, you know, the teams and the leagues. Um, and then um, also assisting in any way I could from training development with their, with their staff and uncovering opportunities, share them back and hopefully they execute. I think that was the biggest thing is, is that we wanted to put them in a situation where we were delivering opportunities that would help them move the needle in, in many different areas and aspects of their business and with their club. So it could be cultural, it could be revenue driving, it could be training development, it could be hiring or looking at different strategies. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought the opportunity was, was incredible and really accelerated my growth um, 
into my next, my next spot. Well, when you have this exposure to so many different aspects of the way a team operates, you yeah. now have this whole well-rounded background and that's what the Cavaliers saw in you certainly. And when you were hired then in 2014, you then joined the ranks in Ca the Cavaliers two months before LeBron announced that he was returning to the Cavs. Where were you for that announcement? And take us inside that moment in your career that you, it was almost serendipitous. Like you had some inkling that he was coming back to town. Yeah, I, I did not have an inkling. I, you know, when I got the opportunity to go to the Cavs, the Cavs were coming off one of the worst seasons they'd ever had in their franchise history. And this opportunity to go to the Cavs um, was, was significant for me. I mean, to your point, when you're at the league office, you sort of have a peek behind the curtain of every single organization. What's good, what's bad, what works, what doesn't work. And you get to walk away with sort of this playbook. And wow, how empowering is that to sort of walk with this playbook? And the big key there is to find an organization or take an opportunity with an organization that will let you run with that playbook and be open to new ideas and wants to be a leader in next practices. And the Cavaliers um, or one of those organizations that just have a phenomenal culture that empower you to push forward and push beyond limits and be a leader in those next practices. And so I was extremely excited to join uh, Brad Sims, um, who was the CRO there. He's the one who brought me in and um, probably one of the smartest individuals I've ever worked for. Um, his intellect is just off the charts and um, I'm more of a grit grind kind of person. So to connect myself with someone like that, I was able to, again, grow um, significantly. And um, when I got to the Cavs, to your point, um, a couple months later, LeBron made his announcement to come home. And that was July 11th, which happened to be my, that happened to be my fifth wedding anniversary. And so I had plans to spend a nice night finally, because the lead up of that was insane. I was, we were spending significant hours in the office from morning to into like early morning days there for several weeks waiting for the announcement. Is it going to happen? It's not going to happen. Um, and I promised my husband that I would, I would be home on the 11th and that we would, we got a babysitter for the first time in Cleveland since I had been there and we were going to go out. And when, when the announcement came through about noon, um, I got a nice text going, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and I was in the office and it was at noon. So a number of reps were out of the office, like just leaving for lunch. And if you can imagine the scene, it's, I hope someday that there's a, um, a movie on this moment because people are running in and the phone drew off the hooks and we're like, it was just, it was madness. Um, and it was a day, it's a day I will never forget. I think we closed the office down at like two in the morning. Um, we left the office about two in the morning um, and obviously proceeded to celebrate. So it was, it, it truly was a next day situation. Um, Do you remember how many season tickets you sold in that moment until 2 a.m.? Oh gosh, I think it was, I think it was something like 10,000 tickets because we ended up capping, we capped it. Um, at 13.5. So we had 13,500. We want to keep obviously room for singles and groups um, at that point because we had deposits for groups that were already locked in way before that because the campaign started in January of last year. So um, it was a significant um, increase. And uh, again, a day I will never forget. Wow. We'll be back for the second half right after this. Hi, this is Bill Gertine. I've been training the ticket sales departments of sports and entertainment for almost 20 years. And I love what I do. But everywhere I went, the story was always the same. We loved what you did. You got us fired up. But after a while, we kind of lost the spark and we went back to the same old, same old. Well, not anymore. ISBI 360 is the first and only digital training network created exclusively for the specific long-term career needs of sports and entertainment professionals. 
our seven different unique certification programs include the fundamentals of success in the industry, like ticket sales, sponsorships, social media, customer service, and leadership, all trained by industry experts like Brett Zelaski, Debbie Nolan, Misha Scher, and Seth Rabinowitz. ISBI 360 uses a unique four-stage learning process, including cutting-edge micro-learning videos, live recorded role plays, live coaching from industry experts, and an ongoing reinforcement program to make sure the learning sticks and forms the habits that your people need to grow and excel faster. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com demo. That's isbi360.com demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Check out what's different about ISBI 360 today. So you were there for the four league championships, the one NBA championship, that first Cleveland team to do it in over 50 years. Describe the culture and the mood of the Cavaliers organization during your first two months on the job and then the change that took place after LeBron's announcement. Was there a significant change in culture? Actually, it wasn't. You know, I think I think that's what speaks so highly about the Cavaliers organization. I mean, the leadership that comes from, you know, Dan Gilbert from a leadership um, and ownership perspective, Len Komorowski uh, from a CEO perspective, and then all of these C-level executives at that time, um, the Cavs are who they are because their culture is a foundation of who they are, um, not what they do. And so that stayed true through the entire time. Um, and in addition to how they treat people, um, how we deliver to our fans and to the community. And I think that that said a lot about the organization. And when you, my expectation was, okay, now that we're winning, like we will do less. In fact, we did more and we did way more than we probably would have done in a situation. And I think that that said, again, I think that says a lot about the organization, the culture. Um, it's one of the best ones I've ever, I've ever worked within. And so I, um, you know, I continue. And that's what I was excited about by coming here to, to Houston is I want to, recreate that and build on what I learned from the Cavs and hopefully make an impact in other organizations taking what I learned from the Cavs experience. So everyone wants to know how often do you wear your championship ring and is it in a safe place? In a safe place. I have not wore it since the finals, the last finals that we had back in what, 2018, 19, 18. Well, it's a little nervous to actually wear it around because it's so blingy and, and it's almost, it almost draws too much attention, I think. It's so impractical. It's like wearing a trophy on your pant. But um, <laughs> I, I told somebody else this, I, I plan when I'm older, like when I'm a, like a grandma, I'll wear it again. I'll be like the grandma that tells a story about this one time. Yeah. <laughs> Look at like, oh, here comes grandma with the ring again. Like, yeah, I'm going to tell my story and you're going to listen. <laughs> so in 2019, you took on the role that you have today as CRO for the Dynamo and Dash and BBVA Stadium. What was the appeal to come way south to Houston? Because it appeared as though you had a pretty significant role and you could have stayed in Cleveland for quite a while. Yeah, I, I definitely could have. I think the Cleveland opportunity was a fantastic one. But like anything, you know, you, for me, it was like I didn't get that far to only go that far. And the opportunity to grow in Cleveland, unfortunately, wasn't wasn't there. They, you know, they, they didn't need another CRO. Um, but I was ready, and I felt like I had graduated from the position, and I was so hungry for more. And I wanted to really exercise the opportunity to see if my leadership would transfer and oversee corporate partnerships. I think that was a big, um, you know, aspiration of mine to lead a corporate partnership team and show that the strategies and the leadership that I had developed through ticket sales and that vertical 
um, is, is, a, is a leadership opportunity that I can take and impact culturally the rest of the organization or a very greater good of the organization, let's say. Um, additionally, you know, um, admittedly, I know I'm young in my, in my career path and where I'm at today. And um, I ran pretty hard. You know, I ran myself pretty hard to get to where I am today. Um, and I think it gives me some flexibility now to really help myself develop in other areas. I've been in the NBA for most of my career. That small six months with the Lions is the only time I did not work in the NBA. And then, though I have a lot of passion and love for the NBA, um, I also want to experience other leagues and other challenges. And I think it's a true test to see if my talent and what I can bring, um, again, transfers to other areas of the industry. And so the opportunity to join the MLS, um, I was extremely excited about. The MLS is on this amazing growth curve I'm extremely bullish about where they're headed. And I, I really wanted to connect myself to that. And I, I want to make an impact and, and see what, what my contributions could be to helping the league grow. And when you look at all the teams in the, in the MLS, um, you know, Houston's an interesting one. This is the fourth largest market in the country. And the team itself had not always performed at um, maybe the levels in which you would expect it to perform. Um, so there's a challenge there. Um, and I know some really great people have come in and out of the Houston market and in this team. And it's just a big question mark. And so when John Walker became the president in November of 2018, he came from the Memphis Grizzlies. So um, we never worked together. We knew of each other. We were reconnected. And um, when we spoke about the opportunity and what his vision was and what he was building, I just felt like, like he was talking to me directly. Like you literally are, you're creating this role for me. <laughs> and it just felt right. You know? And I was like, this is the next opportunity. I heard from him a couple months later and I joined him down here in Houston. I'm so glad I did because, you know, Houston market is, is a significantly large market. I've never worked in a large market. So there's one MLS is two, um, you know, and so I think that was, that was a really big thing. And then overseeing partnerships and expanding, you know, in my, again, my skill set to, to oversee um, a greater good of revenue. Um, and so I, I was very attracted to those opportunities and that's what inspired me to come down here. Wow. We've been a champion of women's advocacy in sports. You're on several panels. You've shown your dedication to addressing some of those inequalities of women and minorities in senior positions. When you look at the change that's taking place now, what are you most excited about? And what are you most frustrated about that isn't moving forward as fast as you'd like? You know, I, I am excited because when I when I talk to colleagues, both men and women, you know, across the across the industry, no matter what the sport is. There is, a, there is a shared interest of, of developing and focusing on the diversity inclusion sort of challenge we have in our industry. And I, so I am inspired by that. I know it's there. And when I look up, you know, I think that was the biggest thing for me. For so long when I was working, I was, I was, my head was down. I wasn't really paying attention to who else was in the room with me. Um, you know, people like, oh, you're the first you know, person like black woman in this VP position and maybe I'm like, oh, really? Like, well, that's not right. <laughs> I don't, I, I wasn't paying attention and, and shame on me because I should have been paying attention. And I think that was the big thing. I knew it was very minimal, minimal women, but women of color or people of color, that's a whole nother conversation of you know, disparity um, and differences there. So, you know, I think um, I started to realize like, oh, I'm here. Like I, I have a responsibility. And I know that there are people who had open doors for me it's very important that not only am I opening doors, but I feel like if we really want to see acceleration, we're going to have to start pulling people through those doors. And the intentionality of that is so important. So I've decided over the last couple of years, I'm going to be 
extremely aggressive. I'm going to put myself out there, um, which I think some people would ask me in the past, like, is it a risk to be out there like that and sort of rah-rah for women and rah-rah for, you know, more diversity at teams? I said, well, you have to be, you know, and if there's a situation where that somebody's not happy about it, then I guess good to know because then they won't call me. <laughs> I don't work with them anyways. And so I think that's perfect. Um, so, yeah, so a couple of, you know, I would say back at the Cavs, you know, I, I took a huge um, investment on wanting to grow women and bring more women into the Cavs. And so we made a big initiative with our inside sales program to increase and sort of bring the um, seed in, right? So we want to recruit more women in the beginning and then grow and develop women from there. So that was a big initiative there. When I came here to Houston, I didn't want to recreate the things that I did in Houston, um, did in the Cleveland. I thought now I'm in a position, hopefully that if, if I do something, maybe I can go more broad and maybe touch more, you know, opportunities out there. So say yes to every panel, say yes to every podcast, say yes to every conference that I am available to do. Um, and I, 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 my, I, I've probably done a hundred something calls, like I said, since COVID started. So saying yes is really important because representation matters. Um, and then launching the podcast was sort of like the additional investment that I, I put in. I want to elevate those women that I have on the podcast, um, elevate their profiles. People should know who they are, the incredible work that they're doing. Um, these are badass women and they're ready for, they're going to be the ones that are going to go next step from there. Um, and then there's a number of women, a community of women I want to inspire because I mean, at the end of the day, there's another, it's not just people not giving opportunities. Women also have to be open to taking opportunities, taking risk, believing in themselves and believing that they can get there if they work hard and do all the right things, they're going to get there. People want to give them those opportunities, but they have to say yes. I think that was key. And I, there was a moment when I was here in Houston, when I got here, I had an initiative to hire. I wanted to make sure to hire some key, some women, some of my key roles. I couldn't get women to come down here to Houston with me. And that was so, and when you talk about frustrate, that's what frustrates me. I could not get certain women, like some women to join me in Houston. They, maybe they felt like MLS was a risk, going to Houston was a risk, staying close to family. Like it was all of those things that we hold ourselves back for. And, um, and so that's when the podcast launched. I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to launch this. Podcast. I want women to hear the stories of other women. And I want them to inspire themselves to sort of blaze their own path their way. Um, and not be afraid to take those those chances. And so um, that was one of the other main reasons why I launched it. And um, so I had it written up. I had the whole thing planned um, around Christmas time and I shelved it for the start of the season and then COVID happened. So I was able to to start it earlier than I had originally anticipated. Well, let's talk about that podcast for a minute because I'm excited about it and I'm a fan. I am mm -hmm. a, a believer in the podcast. I subscribed and I love what you're doing. It's called Women Blazers for everyone who doesn't know that. You've already had several guests on your show that I've admired in the industry for quite a while. Lisa Feigenbaum, Jamie Morningstar, Sarah Daniel, Gretchen mm -hmm. Shear, Raven Jemison, Nita Johnson. I mean, these are just a few of the guests you've had since you started back in March. And that's a lot of episodes so far. Mm -hmm. You started it to be able to give people that courage and inspire them. What has been the most challenging part of producing an every other week podcast for you? Time, <laughs> time I don't have. <laughs> um, you know, I'm running the organization. I'm running my 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 area of the organization as a CRO in a pandemic, which requires a lot more communication and time and scenario planning. Um, I'm also a mother of three, so and I'm at home, so the division of there. Um, but time, and but I've always had this philosophy on time, like time is an illusion. You have all the time in the world. And if you, if something really matters to you, you will dedicate the time to do that. And I think 
time is one of the greatest things you can give somebody. It's, it's probably the best gift you can give somebody is time. And so um, this dedication of time that I, I put in to produce, edit, record, pre-talk, you know, um, build. If you're, if, you, if you're on Instagram, I'm, I'm creating little, you know, things on Instagram too and keeping that content live to help build a network and have people connect and engage with each other and with the people I'm, I'm having as guests on my podcast. Um, it feels like a, like I said, like a third job a little bit, um, but um, it, it's pretty crazy. But again, I just, I just carve it out and I create the time. And um, I give an example. Last night, I was literally laying in bed at 1.30 in the morning and I was editing. <laughs> I had my earpods on, so I didn't wake my husband up and I'm just editing on my app, you know, um, until about, you know, two, until I pass out. And then I wake up like, oh, how far did I get? Like, I don't know how far I got to editing. Um you know, and like in between, I think earbuds have become the best invention because my kids can't hear when they're watching for the fifth time trolls, the movie, they have no idea that mom's listening to her podcast and, and um, reviewing it and editing it. That's so funny. What are some of the trends or the storylines in sports and entertainment that you're watching closely right now? What, what is it you're really either concerned about or really watching with a keen eye? I mean, right now with COVID, I think opening of the stadiums, how people are reacting to the opening of those stadiums and, um, you know, sort of how we are addressing uh, attendance and, you know, who's opening, when they're opening. And hopefully, I think the biggest thing that, you know, I was hoping is like, who's going to who's gonna start to open up more faster? And just this week, uh, we saw that Florida opened up and approved that, you know, the, the teams in Florida can go full capacity um, which, which obviously is said that, you know, the team, each individual team will make a decision what's best for the organization and their health and safety plan and their relationship with the league and what their, their league rules are against COVID and just sort of find that balance. But that's what I'm interested in. I think, um, as we see things opening back up, I think it's going to start to, um, help our business and not just for 2020. I think where we are in 2020 is what it is, but how we look at 2021 is sort of strategize, you know, um, I want to be in a position that we're back to normal, right. In terms of capacity and delivering for our fans and our partners um, at the highest level in terms of a normal environment. So I'm watching trends. I'm trying to see what direction it's going and hoping that continues to go in that, in the right direction. um, So we can keep our plans protected as we're also looking at other scenarios just in case. And so that's big. And then secondly is um, hiring. You know, I think everybody in the league has had um, across the industry specifically has had a lot of layoffs and furloughs, um, which has really devastated um, our industry significantly. There's some just incredible talent um, across this industry that's unfortunately lost their jobs. And um, I think once we start to see things pick up and people start to hiring, so I, I'm, I'm very, um, very tuned to like, all right, who's, who's rehiring, who's hiring positions, um, and then hopefully making connections for individuals I know that have reached out to me or looking for positions and how can I help them make those connections because I want to see people back working again. Sure. So many things have had to be rethought during this last few months. What do you think this unique situation has given the industry a chance to do or perhaps to be that may never come again? Is there a window that exists right now to change or improve something right now that you see? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've noticed is just um, who we are as an industry, you know, I think the things that matter to us, especially on the revenue side, like numbers and sales, like that, we, we put so much emphasis on the success of our business. Um, and right now we've been able to really spend more time with our team, get to know them better, spend more time with them, increase and enhance our communication, um, 
And you have to put a lot of effort into engaging and connecting and developing and sustaining a culture in an environment where you're not physically connected. Um, that's a big challenge. And I think for us as, a, as an organization and as an industry, this is an opportunity for us to really sort of reprioritize what matters. And I would say the emphasis of caring about your people, caring about your fans um, is, the, is the leader here. And I've learned this from the culture of the Cavs, and it's something I truly believe in is that, you know, revenue doesn't lead, it follows. And so why you do what you do, how you treat people, all of those things matter. And I think that has to stay consistent as we get out of this thing. And we can't shift back to sort of old priorities and what we're focused in on. Um, if we stay true to caring about people, I think that's going to ultimately be um, the opportunity that we'll continue to maximize on. Well, as we wrap up our time today, I'm going to give you some rapid fire questions. Just fill in the blank. Just the first thing that pops into your head with these questions. You ready? Okay, let's go. Okay. Your favorite binge watch during the pandemic? Billions. Besides sports, the one thing you've missed the most during COVID? Restaurants. The board game you pulled out that you never thought you'd play again? Jenga. <laughs> the, the song from Trolls that you hope to never hear again after 2020. The, the main one, I, the one that Kelly Clarkson sings. I don't really know the name of it. <laughs> Favorite musical artist on your workout mix? Ooh. Oddly enough, Tori Kelly. Okay. Uh, favorite sports team that you've not worked for? Pistons. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? Right. <laughs> uh, the sit-down restaurant you're going to visit first when indoor dining comes back. Well, indoor dining's back. I just missed it a lot. Um, I would say Papacitos. Favorite comedian or comedian? Ooh. Amy Schumer. Favorite thing about Texas now? Oh, the word y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it gives you an excuse when you use it then because you live it's in It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's so flexible. It is. And the plural of y'all, which I just learned, is... All y'all. So <laughs> all y'all. <laughs> that's the plural. So it's it's kind of fun to get to say every now and then. Uh, uh, the biggest hurdle you have to overcome in the next six months. Getting to next year. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, one bold prediction that you would have for sports and entertainment going forward. We're coming back stronger. That's bold enough, and it's nice. <laughs> Deanna, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us. We've spent time with Deanna Witter, Chief Revenue Officer of the Houston Dynamo, Dash, and DBVA Stadium. All the best to your three little ones and to your husband, and thank you so much for taking the time here on The Crown Nation. Thank you, Bill. If you enjoyed the program, please like us, share us with those you know, and hit subscribe on the podcast, and we'll let you know when another new episode is dropped. Your positive comments will help keep The Crowdmakers on the air. We'd be grateful for your five-star review. Got someone you'd like to hear as a guest on the Crowdmakers? Let us know, and we'll do our best to reach out to them. Drop us a note at info at isbi360.com. That's info at isbi360.com. Support for the Crowdmakers comes from ISBI 360, the first and only digital training network for sports and entertainment professionals. Check out the two-minute demo at isbi360.com slash demo. That's isbi360.com slash demo. Building a better team starts with better training. Our chief engineer of the Crowdmakers is Ken Marinelli. Sean Quinn is our director of operations. Mark Yazowitz is the digital platform guru. 
and the executive producer of The Crowdmakers is Doug Quinn. I'm Bill Gertin. Until next time, thanks for listening, and so long for now. This is The Crowdmakers on the C-Suite Radio Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.